Well, first of all, Merry Christmas to everybody. And turn to your neighbor right now and just wish them a Merry Christmas. Would you do that? Love those two words. I love this time of the year. So thankful for you being here. Glad that you're joining us online and here in the room. And just a, a couple of things. First of all, I never do this, but I was so surprised. One of my best buddies in the world, a guy named Todd Lee and his wife are over here today. And Todd and I go way, way back. Todd was on our board of our TV ministry and drove all the way from Alabama to come over here to hear me preach. I wouldn't have done it, but I'm glad you did. Appreciate it. And then uh, one of my heroes is a guy named Jeff Henderson. Jeff, where are you? There's Jeff. Jeff, stand up. I want you to stand up. Jeff was the campus pastor at Gwinnett Church who met in our church for, I don't know, two or three years. And the reason we did it was not so much for them, but because I knew him. His dad baptized my wife. And this guy and I go way back. And I just want you to give a warm welcome to Jeff Henson. Would you do that? So uh, I'm pumped. I want to get into the message, but a couple of things real quick. Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. We're baptizing. We do every Christmas Eve. And if you have never been biblically baptized, not a greater gift to give to Jesus, not a better time than Christmas Eve. You'll go out to our lobby at the end of the uh, service. There's a table out there called Next Steps. Say, hey, I'd like to be baptized on Christmas Eve. I'll be baptized and we'd love for you to do that. Remember Christmas Day. We're not having in-person services, but I'm going to be giving a special online message. It'll be about 10 or 12 minutes for you or your family. You just simply go to the homepage, Christmas, to our website, go to crosspointchurch.org, and you can see that. And uh, we will have, I hope all of us will have a very Merry Christmas. Then the last thing, this is kind of get you ready to pray about something and to start inviting people. Because I've been telling you about this for about what? Seven or eight months. January is not going to be for the faint of heart. So in January, after the first of the year, not the first Sunday, but the second, I'm going to do a four-week series that we're calling Facing the Truth. And I've already told some of you, and I'm not trying to be negative, I won't be surprised if somebody doesn't leave our church. I'm just being honest. I'm going to talk about four things. Premarital sex, gay marriage, abortion, and the whole transgender issue. So why would you do that? Because I'm listening. There are people who would advise me, James, you don't need to be controversial. don't need to do that. So let me just kind of prepare you. I'm not going to be throwing flames. I want to preach with grace and truth. But the Bible says that as believers, we want to be able to give a reason for what we believe, why we believe it. And particularly for a lot of you parents who have kids in our public schools, you need to hear these messages. So just pray that God will bless that, those messages, use them, and invite people to come. And uh, we're going to do a Q&A on a couple of Wednesday nights following that. So it's going to be an interesting time, and uh, I hope and pray that you will be here. Now, in every war, there are always heroes. And World War II is no exception. Back, matter of fact, why you would expect that all the heroes of the fault on that war, you, you don't think about heroes being on the winning side. One of the greatest heroes of World War II was not on the winning side. He was on the losing side. As a matter of fact, he probably is the most unexpected hero that the war had. Now, this will shock you. He was actually a Nazi. Now, he was a lousy Nazi. In many ways, was not a very good Nazi. He also had a very, he was a very lousy person. He was a womanizer. He was unfaithful to his wife many times. He was an alcoholic. He was crooked. He was a scheming businessman. Almost nobody trusted him. But this lousy Nazi, who wasn't much of a person, did something that was so heroic, so unbelievable, so courageous, so self-sacrificial, they actually made a movie about it. You may have seen it. How many of you have seen the movie Schindler's List? How many of you saw that movie? They made a movie about this man, and <clears throat> so unlikely, just never thought he'd be a hero. He saved the lives of 1,200 Jews, put his life on the line, spent his entire fortune, went bankrupt, bribing Nazi authorities to allow him to protect the Jews who worked in his factory. He really was not just a hero. He was an unsung and unlikely hero in spite of his character. He really was a hero to this day. The Jewish people revere this man. But there was another man in the Bible we've been talking about for two weeks, probably the most unlikely hero in all of Scripture. As a matter of fact, as you know, we've said he never ever said a word 
in the Bible, but he was not a hero in spite of his character. He was a hero because of his character. His name was Joseph. If you're a guest of ours for the first time or you're watching for the first time, we've been in a series we've been calling Unsung Hero. Because by all accounts, you got to say Joseph was the most unlikely hero in the Bible. Because think about it. What if God had come to you? What if God came to you 2,000 years ago? You're a, you're a man. You've got your life planned out. You've picked out, you know, the bride's been picked out. You love her. She loves you. you got a job. You're a carpenter. You, you're going you're gonna to get married. You're going to have children. You're going to live happily ever after. And then this angel shows up and says, by the way, uh, I'm going to send my son to become a human being. Mary's a virgin, and she's still going to be a virgin, but he's going to be fully human. Now, here's the good news, Joseph. I have picked out Mary to be the mother. Here's the better news. I have picked you out to be the father. You're going to be the humanly, human father of the heavenly son. Now, let's go back. Let's just imagine that he didn't ask Joseph. Let's imagine that the angel came to you and me and said, hey, I got to pick a guy out to be the father of the son of God. Who would you pick? You would not choose Joseph. Not, not Joseph, a, 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 a minimum wage, nobody who lived in a nothing town called Nazareth, raising the son of God. He wouldn't be the one that Jesus would call dad. He wouldn't be the one responsible for taking care of him, making sure all of his needs are met, making sure he would make it to manhood. Surely you wouldn't choose, I wouldn't choose Joseph. And if we're honest, we wouldn't choose Joseph. So if somebody came to you, if that angel came 2,000 years ago and said, hey, who would you choose? Well, you'd think, well, let me get this straight. So this baby's the son of God? Yes. You mean this baby is actually one of the Trinity? Yes. Well, if he is the king of kings, I, I would think you'd want to choose somebody of royal blood. I mean, what better man to raise a king than another king? Or if it was the 21st century, you would say, well, I, I need to find the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I need to find a celebrity. I need to find a, maybe a president or, or a king or maybe even a dictator, some successful businessman. It's got to be somebody with wealth and somebody with means, and somebody with power, and somebody with influence, because after all, this is not your ordinary run-of-the-mill baby. There's never been another baby born like him, and another, another baby after him like him. He is the Son of God. We've got to pick the cream of the crop. Somebody that could put him in a good home. Somebody that could put him in a safe neighborhood. Somebody that could give him the finest education that any kid could have. And if God had had that mindset, he certainly would not have chosen Joseph because who is Joseph? He's a nobody. If it weren't for Jesus, we'd have never heard of this man. His name wouldn't even be in the Bible. He didn't have a pedigree. He didn't have a degree. He didn't have a sterling reputation. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't revered in the community. He was just an ordinary blue-collar, minimum-wage carpenter. You couldn't find the more run-of-the-mill, dime-a-dozen Jewish man if you looked with all of your life. And yet, all we know is what God says about him because, again, Joseph never says a word. So you'd be right to say, well, why in the world would you spend three weeks? Why would you even spend one sermon talking about a minimum-wage carpenter that nobody would ever have known who didn't even say a word in the Bible, there's only one reason why we spent three weeks on Joseph. Because Joseph was fully surrendered to the will of God regardless of the cost. He was fully surrendered to the will of God regardless of the cost. Because when you look at the total, totality of his life, you discover that what God does for all the Josephs in the world that say yes, Lord, to whatever God calls them to do, what God did for Joseph, as you're going to see in a moment, which is incredible, God will do for you. You say, but pastor, I'm just a nobody. God specializes in using nobodies. By the way, with God, there are no nobodies. Everybody is somebody. But you can be that special body. All you've got to do is one simple thing. You don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to make a lot of money. You don't have to have a title in front of your name. If you are just simply fully surrendered to the will of God. You can be just like 
Joseph. And I want to tell you, this was never truer than the last time Joseph is mentioned by name in the Bible. So I want you to take God's word, however you want to look at it, and I want you to turn to the first gospel, Matthew chapter 2. Turn to the second, Matthew chapter 2. This is the part of the Christmas story, I'm going to be honest, hardly anybody ever talks about. I don't know that I ever really preached about this part of the story. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I didn't. And this is one of those parts of the Christmas story, because this is part of the Christmas story. You don't hear this one, this part sung about. You won't see a picture of this in a mall. You won't find this in a Christmas play. In fact, most people kind of overlook it. They gloss over it. And yet, it is such a great bookend to the story of this magnificent man and the life that he lived. So I want to leave you with one last great lesson we're going to learn from this one last great man. When you surrender to God's call, you are under God's care. When you surrender to God's call, you are under God's care. Now, we're going to know, we already know what we're going to see in just a moment. Let me just remind you of something. Joseph never had it easy. He didn't ask for any of this. God didn't promise him a rose garden. God didn't say he would pave the road. There'd be no potholes. There'd be no pain. There'd be just gain. Joseph paid a high price. We've already talked about it, to be the father of Jesus. But because he was willing to do it, because when God called, he picked up the phone and just said, yes, Lord, because Joseph did that, we're going to learn three things that were true of Joseph all of his life that are true about you and true about me and will be true to the day we die if we do one thing, fully surrender to the will of God. What are those three things? Number one, we're guided by the providence of God. We are guided by the providence of God. Of God. You know, one of the joys of growing older and getting older, and there are joys to it, there are benefits to it, is you're able to look back at your life and you're able to see, I can't believe it. All the time I thought this was an accident, this was a coincidence, this just happened. You look back and you say, my soul, God was moving to pieces on the board the entire time. So let's go back to the very beginning. Just like any ordinary man, I told you, God, you know, Joseph had a simple plan for his life. I'm going to be a faithful tradesman. I'm going to be a good carpenter. I'm going to admit my girl. I'm going to get married, going to have kids, going to raise a family. I'm going to live a quiet life, and everything's going to get fine. Everything's going to be fine. And then this baby gets in the way. That wasn't even his. So you remember the story. He says, okay, I want to do the right thing. He could have had Mary just basically just taken care of her. Could have had Mary stoned to death. But he says, you know what? I'm just going to quietly divorce her. I don't want to cause any trouble. I'm a better man than that. And I don't have to put her under any necessary shame. And then this dream gets in the way. And God tells Joseph in this dream, Joseph, don't be afraid. I want you to take Mary as your wife. Well, then something else gets in the way. As if that's not enough, the Roman government gets in the way. They order a census to be taken. Now Joseph has got to take a woman who is eight and a half months pregnant on a 70-mile trip to Bethlehem. You think, okay, maybe this is the worst of it. No, it's not the worst of it. When they get there, there are no rooms available. No Holiday Inn Express, no Renaissance, no Hilton. I mean, there's no place they can stay. So he has to take Mary to a cave to give birth to this boy. Now, they stay there for about two years where, you know, Joseph probably had some family because that's where his family was from. So he probably was able to find work. So they probably at this point just decided, you know what, Bethlehem's not a bad place. Kind of like Mayberry, you know, and, you know, everybody gets along. Barney's got his bullets. So why don't we just stay here? We, we, Bethlehem's a good place, you know, nice water, good food. We'll just stay here. Well, Joseph thinks, okay, the worst is behind me. And then he has another dream. And you know, these dreams are starting to become nightmares. Listen to this dream. When, the, when they, the wise men, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, again, we're not told of what Joseph said because Joseph never speaks. He doesn't, never gives a response. But I'll tell you what I would have said. I'm just being honest with you. I'll tell you what I would have said if I'd been Joseph when I got that dream. You've got to be kidding me. 
I mean, seriously? I didn't ask for the boy, but I said, okay, I'll be his dad. I didn't ask to go to Bethlehem, but you made sure because you prophesied we'd be there. I get that. I've been here for two years. I finally found a job. I've got family. I love it here. And now, now, you're telling me, I could understand if you said, hey, go to Hawaii. Bermuda, the Bahamas, I'll take Atlanta. You want me to go to Egypt. You want me to go to a place I've never been, to people that I don't know. You want me to put my wife and this two-year-old baby on a donkey and go another 70 miles completely through desert to a place I've never been, to people I don't even know. Now, if we lived in the 21st century, this is what Joseph would have said to God. I want to re renegotiate my contract. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for any of this. I do not want to do it. Now, let me just stop right there. There are two lessons we need to learn at this point about Joseph's life and in Joseph's life. One is about following God, and the other is about the God that we follow. All right, so let me tell you lesson number one. Just get it out. I've always told you the truth. You're not going to like it. I don't like it either. It's just true. Following God is not always easy. So if you're not a believer and you think, man, if I'll give my life to Jesus, all my problems will be solved, I'll tell you the good news and the bad news. The good news is the most important problems you need to be solved that are really good problems, God will solve them. Here's the bad news. You'll have other problems. Following God is not always easy. The flight's not always smooth. There's simply no comfortable velvet-lined highway to follow Jesus. So if you want to live an easy, safe life, you want to be comfortable, no conflict, no consternation, no confrontation, you just want to just live, live and let live, let me give you a piece of advice. Don't surrender to Jesus because that's not what you'll sign up for. It is simply not easy. Because let me tell you what I found in my own life. Your plans will be disrupted. I'll give you an example. How many, anybody here from Mississippi? Okay. I, some of you, okay. Look, I love Mississippi. Let me make, before I say this, let me make it plain. I love Mississippi, all right? But when God called me to the ministry, my plan was I'm going to live right here in Georgia, never going anywhere else. Now, again, when Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content, he had never been to Mississippi. <laughs> I didn't sign up for Mississippi. There's things I liked, things I didn't like. But here's my point. Your plans will be disrupted. And your hopes will be discarded. And some of your expectations will be disappointed. Jesus never baits and twitches. He never overpromises and underdelivers. One of the thing I, many things I love about Jesus, he's always upfront. He's always honest. He never puts any fine point in the contract. And he says, let me tell you something, following me will be difficult. He says, if anybody wants to come after me, great. You'll have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So there are three things to remember if you decide you want to follow Jesus. Number one, it cost to serve Jesus. Number two, it pays to serve Jesus. Number three, it always pays more than it costs. But don't miss the first part. It costs to serve Jesus. So here we are once again, Joseph being asked to pull up stakes, gather his belongings, take what few that he has, cash in his frequent donkey riding miles. Did you get that? Travel to a place he's never been. Live with people he does not even know. And Joseph may not have understood at the time, but looking back, I'm sure he realized what I want you to realize. He's under the providence of God. He's being guided by the providence of God. God is in charge. Herod's not in charge. Pilate's not in charge. The Pharisees are not in charge. God is in charge. God is running the show. Benjamin Franklin famously said this, I've lived a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. Let me stop right there. 
You may be asking a good question, and it would be a good question. So, Pastor, while we're on the topic, why did God choose Egypt? I've been to Egypt three times. I'm going back again next year. There's some neat things in Egypt, but can I be honest? Egypt's an okay place to visit. You don't want to live in Egypt. I don't. So why would he choose Egypt? Did God just pull a name out of a hat? Did God have a masochistic sense of humor? Was God just trying to put Joseph through the ringer? Was he just, did he just flip a coin? Did he just open a map and just put his finger in it? Oh, it just happened to land on Egypt? No. Do you know why God sent Joseph to Egypt? Because before Joseph was even born, before Mary was even born, before Jesus was even born, God had made a prediction. God had made a prophecy. It's found in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was my child, I loved him. Now watch this. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So now how do we know this is what God was talking about? Because Matthew, who was also writing about this to Jews, he pointed this out in his gospel. He said, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Do you know why Joseph had to go to Egypt? It was all about the providence of God. Every one of us, whether you realize it or not, we are guided by the providence of God. Now you say, well, what, what, what does that really mean? Here's what it simply means. Here's what it means to be guided by his providence. It does not matter what's going on in your world. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. Everything is going according to what he wants to do. He is trying to work in your life if you will just let him. And what we learn from Joseph is this. When you surrender to God's will, you are under God's care. We are guided by the providence of God. That's true of all of us if we surrender if we say yes to the Lord. Here's the second thing that's true about Joseph, can be true about you and me. Not only are we guided by the providence of God, we're guarded by the protection of God. We're guarded by the protection of God. Do you know why you got here this morning? You know why you're safe? You know why you're alive? Because God protected you. Now there's gonna come a time that God's gonna do better than protect you. He's gonna take you to be with him. But in the meantime, you didn't get here by luck. You didn't get here by fate. You didn't get here by chance. We're guided, guarded by the protection of God. I mean, go back to the word providence. There, there are two words you need to hear in that word providence. There's the word pro and the word video. What does pro mean? Pro means before. What does video mean? It means to see. The providence of God simply means God's always looking ahead. God always knows what's coming. Well, God knew what was going to happen in Bethlehem. God knew that Herod was going to order these kids to be killed. We're going to see that in a moment. So what does God do? Once again, he talks to Joseph in a dream. Now, let me just stop right there. I still believe that God speaks at times in dreams. I've, I've had people ask me this. I've, I've talked to Muslims. In fact, most Muslims have written books on how they've come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they did it through a dream. And, and, and I would say to you, you know, do you believe that God still speaks through dreams? Yes, I do. I would say you can't always rely on a dream to know what's going to happen. I'll tell you how I know that. There's one morning, a man and his wife, they were asleep in bed, and all of a sudden, the, the wife sat straight up in the bed. And her husband said, well, what's wrong? She said, you're not going to believe this. I just had a dream. He said, what did you dream about? He said, well, I dreamed that you gave me a, a diamond necklace for Valentine's Day. And she said, what do you think that dream means? He just smiled, and he said, well, you'll know tonight. So that night came, and he walked in the door and had a small package for his wife. Trembling hands, she opened the wrapping paper, tore open the box, and pulled out, and there was her Valentine's Day gift. It was a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. Now, <laughs> you can't always rely on dreams, but dreams are real, and this dream was real, and its meaning was plain. He said, Joseph, you're going to take Mary, you're going to take Jesus, you're going to go to Egypt. Why? Because Herod was doing everything he could, the King Herod, to find Jesus and kill him. Now, before I get into this part of the story, let me just tell you, take you a little history lesson about Herod. This guy was certifiably crazy. I mean, he was a nut job. 
You go back and study about King Herod, one of the most complex, weird people in history. Let me tell you, ethnically, he was an Arab. Religiously, he was Jewish because his grandfather, who was appointed governor of the province, was made to become Jewish, which made him a Jew. So ethnically, he's an Arab. Religiously, he's a Jew. Culturally, he was Greek. Politically, he was Roman. Now today, he'd run for president. But here's the point. This guy was just one messed up guy. And it may not surprise you to know he was extremely paranoid. Listen to this. You talk about a dysfunctional family. You ready for this? This guy married 10 women, fathered many children, but he was always so worried that one of his kids would usurp the throne and take over his throne. The first century historian Josephus tells us he murdered several of his own family. He had two of his sons strangled, strangled in a fort in Samaria. Of all of his wives, his favorite was a woman named Mariamne. Loved her to death. But one day he thought, she may be after my throne. He had her killed too. Beyond that, he was always afraid that the Jews might rise up against him because the Jews hated him. He couldn't win their loyalty. He did everything he could. He rebuilt their temple. But then every now and then he'd just go crazy. And he, for no reason, he'd have Jews crucified just to intimidate them. He had the high priest and other priests killed for no reason. He enforced outrageous taxes on the, on the Jewish people. And he always felt he's just one revolution away from losing the throne. So I want you to imagine now, this Herod is the guy that, three, that, that some wise men from the East come. This Herod, this guy, this absolute certified whack job. They come in and they say, hey, where can we find the king of the Jews? Well, that's who he was. I'm the king of the Jews. So his ears perk up. You're looking for who? We're looking for the king of the Jews. Well, in 37 BC, the Roman Senate had named him the king of the Jews. So the first thought that comes to Herod's mind was, I don't know who this is, but he's public enemy number one. And I got to take this guy out. I'm not going to have anybody. I mean, I've killed my wife. I've killed, I mean, I've killed sons-in-law. I've killed mothers-in-law. I've killed kids. I'm not going to let somebody like I don't even know outside my family to take everything over. Well, this is exactly what he did, Matthew 2, 16. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi because they didn't come back, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, let me just stop right there. Don't get the idea that there were hundreds or thousands of little baby boys killed because there wasn't even that many male children. We're told that back in that day, the entire little city of Bethlehem maybe have had, maybe have had 20,000 people total. That's the best estimate we've got. So historians tell us that probably no more than maybe 20 children were killed. Now, one would be too many. I get that. But it didn't matter to Herod. Kills his wife, three of his sons, kills his mother-in-law, kills his brother-in-law. Death didn't mean one thing to him. And Herod thinks, I am taking care of this problem. I will be able to go to sleep at night and not worry about whoever this kid is because he didn't live to see the light of day. There was only one problem. What Herod didn't count on was God beating him to the punch and God relocating Jesus before he committed this act. You see, here's the point I want you to understand. When you are guided by the providence of God, you are guarded by the protection of God. And so God says, Joseph, get up, don't delay, get your belongings, and take your family to Egypt. Now you say, again, why Egypt? Well, this is kind of going to surprise you. I didn't know this. Egypt was the perfect place for him to go. Why? Well, it was a Roman province, but it was outside of Herod's jurisdiction. He had no authority there. It had a population, you ready for this, of, of about a million Jews. So Joseph is about go, to go to a country where there's a million people, and when they find out he's Jewish, they're going to say, hey, man, you're one of us. Stay in our home. We'll take care of you. You won't have any trouble making friends. You won't have any trouble finding a job. Now, at this point, you might be saying, wait a minute. If God is so powerful, 
And God can protect us from anything. Why did he have Joseph go to Egypt? Great question. Because I want to give you one other thing to think about that a lot of us Christians don't realize. And it's why we sometimes blame God for messes that we created. It is true that we are guarded by the protection of God. At the same time, we are to take responsibility for our own actions. We're to cooperate with God in this protection. John Calvin put it best. He who has set the limits to our life has at the same time entrusted to us its care. He has provided means and helps to preserve it. So if the Lord has committed to us the protection of our life, our duty is to protect it. If he offers helps, to use them. If he forewarns us of dangers, not to plunge headlong. If he makes remedies available, not to neglect them. So yes, God cares about my health, but I need to go to the doctor every year for a checkup. And yes, God can heal, but God's also given us hospitals and medications that we're to avail ourselves of as tools in his hands. So yes, when God provides a place to hide, you go hide. When God, uh, you know, you, you, you always know, when, when God provides a way of escape, you escape, you take it. So you always can know if you're guided by the providence of God, you're guided by the protection of God. So there was God's part. He said, Joseph, go to Egypt. What was Joseph's part? Go to Egypt. That's the way out, Joseph. Take it. So you're committed to the will of God. You're surrendered to the will of God. God, you pick up the phone. Yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Number one, God says, okay, I'm going to guide you by my providence. I'm going to guard you by my protection. But there's one other thing God does that we take for granted. And I want to share with you something I'd never seen in the Bible all of my life till I did this message. It blew my mind. You're not only guarded, guided by the providence of God. You're not only guarded by the protection of God. Watch this. We are graced by the provision of God. We are graced by the provision of God. Without question, no hesitation, look what Joseph does. He just says, yes, yeah. so watch this, verse 14. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, doesn't even wait for daylight, during the night, and he left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Now, there's a question that's got to be answered. Say, so wait a minute. I know he's going to a place where there were Jews, but he didn't know any of them. He's about to take a 70-mile trip. It's going to take days, maybe even more than a week. And when he gets there, he's got to find a place to stay, and he's got to provide food for his family. And how did he do that? He wasn't wealthy, wasn't rich. Everybody lived day to day. How did he have the means to make this trip? And after he got there, he needed to have some money in his pocket just so he could get up and running. So not only did he, how did he, how did he have the money to make the trip, how did he survive once he got there? Because after all, when you get there, you got to find a place to stay. You got to buy food. You got to find a job. Got to put a roof over your kid's head. You know, where did he get the resources? Now, buckle your seatbelt. I never thought about this. Blew my mind when I realized this. So, Go back to the story that had happened just before this dream. And you may not remember, but you will when I tell you. Before this dream, just before this dream, we don't know how long, maybe a week or two, I don't know. Just before this dream, these wise men from the east show up. And they come to worship this newborn king. And then you read this statement that I've read so many times in my life and just never thought that much about it. Just really didn't occur to me. And I didn't give it a lot of thought. But listen to what happens. Just before this happens, the wise men show it. Now watch this. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we've all heard that story. We've all seen that. We've all said, man, yeah, I remember that. But have you ever asked this question? Why not only did they bring those gifts, why did they give them to a baby? How many of you have ever gotten a Christmas gift you couldn't use if your life depended on it? Okay? You have people like that, right? You know people like that. Can I ask you a question? 
Why does a baby need gold? Why does a baby need myrrh? Why does a baby need frankincense? Well, those gifts were indeed gifts fit for a king. But let me tell you what you didn't know. In today's prices, just a pound of frankincense would have been worth about $500. A pound of myrrh would have been worth about $4,000. A pound of gold would have been worth about $600. Do you see where I'm going? These men see a star. And God says, follow the star. And oh, by the way, American Express, don't leave home without it. By the way, don't leave home without some gold and some frankincense and some, and some myrrh. And they go to Bethlehem. And they lay before that. They, they come and it says they gave the baby the gifts, not Joseph Mary, the baby. And I'm sure Joseph and Mary were thinking, thanks a lot, but he can't use gold. He can't use frankincense. And he can't use myrrh. And then all of a sudden, God says to Joseph, Hey, Joseph, get the baby, get Mary, go to Egypt. And oh, by the way, Joseph, don't forget the gold. Don't forget the frankincense. Don't forget the myrrh. Does that give you chill bumps? Do you see what's happened here? God's always moving the pieces around the board. Joseph didn't know one day he'd have to go to Egypt. He didn't know he'd need that. Man, I've got chill bumps all over me right now. And God takes these men. He says, Joseph, don't worry about finding a hotel room. You can buy one. Don't worry about buying food. You can feed an entire family for months. I've already taken care of you. You know why? Where God guides, God provides. Where God leads, God meets the needs. And God took some wise men in a foreign country that Joseph meets one time and gave Joseph everything he needs. Let me tell you something on this Christmas season. Everything you have in your possession, everything you've got title deed to, everything you got a contract on, everything you think you bought and paid for, God gave it to you. It all came from him, every bit of it. That's why we own nothing. You don't own anything. If you don't believe it, just die and tell me how much you take with you. You own nothing. Everything we have, every good and perfect gift comes from God. You think you accumulated it. You didn't accumulate it. But I worked for it. Yeah, because God gave you the help. And God gave you the strength. And God gave you the ability. And God gave you the skill. And God gave you the opportunity. And God gave you the place. God always graces us with his provision. And I'm telling you this Christmas season, we are what we are by the grace of God. We have what we have by the grace of God. That's the God of Christmas. That's the God that we celebrate. And this is why Joseph was such an unsung, but such a tremendous hero. And I'm sure Joseph, at the end of life, I'm telling you, we don't know how he died and when he died, but I promise you, at the end of his life, I guarantee you, Joseph looked back and said, I just can't believe it. I was a nobody. I was a carpenter, a minimum wage guy, not famous, not a celebrity. And look what God did in my life. Now, watch this. We'll wrap up. The last time Joseph is mentioned as being alive in the Gospel of Luke, Joseph at this point, Jesus is 12 years old. Mary and Joseph has taken Jesus to the Passover festival. But when they left to go home, they just assumed that Jesus was with somebody else. And then they discovered a few days later that he wasn't. So they got to turn around, go all the way back. They find Jesus in the temple with some rabbis and, 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 he's, and, and he's asking questions. So we pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 48. When his parents saw him, by the way, this is the last time we ever hear about Joseph. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Now, listen to what Jesus said. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Yeah. 
How do you think Joseph felt or could have felt when he heard those words? He could have said, excuse me, I put food on your table. I took you under my wing when I didn't even have you. I didn't conceive you. I put clothes on your back. I put a roof over your, over your head. I thought my house was your father's house. But you know what I'm convinced of? That thought never entered his mind. He wasn't jealous. He wasn't upset. You know what I think happened when he said, I must be in my father's house? I think there was a big smile on Joseph's face. Because Joseph knew from the time that baby was born, you can call me dad, but he is your father. He knew who the real father was. And you want, isn't that just like an unsung hero? To be willing just to stand off in the shadows, behind the scenes, out of the limelight, and give all of the glory to God. So I don't know about you. I'll wrap up this series by telling you me. As God gave me the sweet, sweet joy of getting in my study and digging into the life of a man I had not paid a lot of attention to all of my life, as I've come out on the other side having studied about this totally silent, behind the scenes, never heard from, lesser known Joseph in the Bible, I don't know about you, I cannot wait to meet this guy. I can't wait to run up and say, you know what, I just want to hear you say something. I want to know what your voice sounds like. Yeah, I want to walk up to him and say, Joseph, tell me what it was like when you got that dream from that angel that you're going to be the dad of a son you didn't even have. Tell me what it was like to go through all the junk you had to go through and all the ridicule and all the laughing behind your back, all the people that said Jesus was a son, uh, an illegitimate son, and you fathered a child out of wood. Joseph, what was that like? And then Joseph, what was it like when you got to Bethlehem and there wasn't even a place to stay? And Joseph, what was it like when you thought you had it all finally figured out and then God tells you to go to Egypt? Joseph, what was it like? Can't wait to meet that guy. And I think he's just going to kind of do a, oh, shucks. I just did what God told me to do. And this is just my sanctified imagination. I have the right to have one as a preacher. <laughs> I got a feeling Jesus will probably walk up and put his arm around him and say, Dad, I love you. Thanks for what you did. Thanks for how you did it. So, he really is one of the greatest men in the history of this world. He really is an unsung hero. He's in God's hall of heroes. Why? Because he just did three things we've been talking about. He stayed faithful, he stepped up, and he stood strong. And if we'll do the same thing, we can be one of God's heroes too. Would you pray with me? With his bowed and with eyes closed. I don't know who's listening to me right now online. I don't know who's listening by television. I don't know where you are in your life. Let me tell you this. You may think, oh, I could never be a part of God's family. I'm, I'm not worthy. I've done this. I've done that. Why would God choose me? Why would God love me? Let me tell you something. God calls all of us to be Josephs. All of us. Just to be Josephs. He calls all of us to do that. And all you've got to do is just say, I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm willing to step up and be a part of the will of God for my life, whatever he wants me to do. You know what God's will is? It is God's will for all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never let that little baby be born in your heart, why don't you do it today? Why don't you just say something like, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Can't save myself. But I believe you died on the cross to save me. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. Come into my heart. Save me. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my sins. And I trust you as my Lord. Receive you as my Savior. And thank you for forgiving me for my sins. 
Now, if you're watching online right now, or by, you, you've prayed that prayer with me, and you asked Christ to come into your heart, would you just go right now to crosspointchurch.com slash next? Just, just tell us, hey, I, I made that decision today for Jesus. I gave my life to Christ. Would you just do that right now? There'll be someone waiting to hear from you. We want to help you begin your walk with God. If you're in this room and you made that decision for Jesus today and you really meant it, here's what I want you to do. When you leave this building and you go out to the lobby, there's a table there called Next Steps. I want you to go to that lobby. Go out to the lobby. Go to that table and just simply say, I gave my life to Jesus today. That's it. They'll tell you what to do next. If you've never been biblically baptized, the very first thing God expects of a, of, of a new believer is to be baptized. I'm going to say it again. This coming Saturday, 3 and 5, we're going to be baptizing. I'm going to be baptizing. It would be a great thing for you today. Go out to the lobby and just say, hey, I'll be here at 3 and be here at 5. I want to make plans to be baptized. What a gift you could give to Jesus for doing that. And then, to all of us, we ask you this every week. Who's your one? Who's that one person that needs to know the story of Christmas, that needs to know that the Jesus that was born physically can be born, born again spiritually in their hearts. Who will you tell that story to today? And then finally, where do you need to stay faithful? Where do you need to step up? Where do you need to stand strong? What part of your life have you said no to God till you need to say yes to today? Heavenly Father, thank you for Joseph. You know, I think in some ways Jesus probably said at times, you know, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. Only to hear Joseph say, son, <laughs> I want to be like you right now. And so, Father, I just pray that we'll not let this series die. But every time now we think about this man that never said a word in the Bible, he will speak loudly in our hearts. If you'll just surrender to the will of God, everything else will fall into place. So we give you all the glory and the praise for what you'll do this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Step here. Step here with me. Pastor, when I think of uh, somebody that uh, is a faithful husband, when I think of somebody that's a faithful dad, when I think of somebody that doesn't talk, I don't think of you in that. <laughs> Today, uh, we have the opportunity to celebrate your birthday. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So, we have some friends right over here. You know these folks. Oh, my soul. Wow. This family's coming in. You got to stay with me. You can't go over there. All right. All right. Today, church family, when we think of genuinely, when we think of a faithful husband, we think of a man who loves his boys. You just said that. Joseph loved his boys. Your three boys are right here. And there's no greater joy than to see a man with his family. And uh, today, we're going to celebrate. He told me just a few minutes ago, it was before the service started, that today marks your 46th year in ministry. Is that right? 46 faithful years as a pastor. Now, when I think of all of these things, we celebrate. Uh, whenever you think of a birthday, today is, uh, we're celebrating your birthday. His birthday is on the 22nd on Thursday, I believe. But it's always a good reminder on days like this, when you think about birthdays, you think of large celebrations, you also are reminded of the gift that he is to this church. And church family, he is an absolute gift to all of us. And Pastor, we have a couple of your friends that want to just wish you a happy birthday. So if you would be seated, and let's turn your attention to the screens. Wow. Hello, my name is Danny Aiken, and I'm the president of Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And what a joy it is for me to congratulate my dearest friend in all the world, Dr. Merritt, on his 70th uh, birthday. 
There's so many things that I could say about Dr. Merritt. Uh, God in his kindness allowed our paths to cross more than three decades ago and gave us what, without any question, is the dearest friendship I've ever had uh, on this earth. I, I love him because he's such a faithful pastor and preacher, but perhaps most of all because his faithfulness is a soul winner. I'll never be able to say thank you enough for the fact that he left his home one Tuesday evening, drove all the way down to uh, Grady Hospital, went up into the ICU unit and led my mother-in-law to faith in Christ literally on her deathbed. Uh, there'll be a lady in heaven because of his faithfulness to share the gospel. So James, know how much I love you and Teresa and your family. Congratulations on 70 years. I trust and pray that God will give you many more years as you continue to faithfully preach his word and reach lost people with the gospel. Hi, I'm Paul Chitwood, President of the International Mission Board. James Merritt, happy birthday to you. Not only are you the most obnoxious Georgia Bulldog fan I've ever met, uh, you are also a very committed pastor, a faithful preacher of God's word, and a dear friend. I thank the Lord for you and pray that you have a great 70th birthday. Hello everyone there at Cross Point Church. I'm Kevin Ezell, President of the North American Mission Board, and I am so honored to wish my good friend and golfing buddy, James Merritt, a very happy 70th birthday. Congratulations, James, on this wonderful milestone. Brother, you are so well loved by everyone there at your church, but also throughout our entire network of churches. Thank you for being such an incredible leader over all these years. I appreciate the courage and the integrity which you have led so effectively. And of course, no one I know has a greater passion for the gospel and shares it more often than you. I hope you and Teresa and the entire church family enjoy celebrating this special day, and we look forward to many, many more to come. God bless you, my friend. Hey, everybody, it's Greg Laurie wishing a very happy birthday to my friend James Merritt. James, you're 70 years old, and you look at James, I have to say. Seriously, I'm right behind you, buddy. I'm just a few months behind you on your birthday. So happy birthday. You know, James, honestly, you are one of the greatest men of God out there that I know. You're a fantastic preacher. I mean, we, won't, we don't want people to know this, but on more than one occasion, I've emailed you saying, hey, James, do you have any notes on this particular topic I'll be preaching on soon? And and uh, I'm so blessed by what you share in your messages. I think of the many times I've seen you on television, but then I think of times we've had together just hanging out, having a meal with our wives. And you're loved by so many, including myself. So I want to just wish you a blessed and happy birthday. 70 years. And I pray for God's blessing on you in the years ahead. God bless you, James. What a great privilege to congratulate James Merritt on this birthday, a 70th birthday. I reflect upon the many gifts God has given me in life, and one of those precious of those gifts is the gift of friends. And among those friends, one of the most precious is James Merritt. I have seen James Merritt in uh, situations of fun and fellowship. I've seen James Merritt in situations of trial and testing. And here's what I've come to know of him. He's a man of God who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a husband who dearly loves Teresa. He's a father who loves his family. He's a pastor who loves his church. And he is a friend who loves his friends. And he knows how to show that. He's a man of courage and conviction. Uh, he's a man who is loved by so many people, including my wife, Mary, and our children, Katie and Christopher. Uh, those kids know James Merritt as Uncle James. And that just says the world right there. I know James Merritt as a friend, and I am so thankful for him. And James, I'm so thankful for you, and I congratulate you on your 70th birthday. And understand, I'm coming up right behind you. Happy birthday to the glory of God. Pastor. Church family, uh, it's always appropriate to make sure you always thank the giver for the gift. Would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, I thank you for my 6 a.m. friend. The one who sends me notes and text messages and calls me at 6 a.m. I thank you for my pastor. I thank you for my friend. I thank you for my mentor. 
I thank you for the pastor of all these dear people here and online. And Father, I pray that God, you would be honored by our desire to recognize him on his special day. God, we thank you for these years. We thank you for Teresa and his boys and his extended family. We ask, oh God, that you would use him to further lead this church into its greatest days. That you would allow him to be the conduit by which men and women, boys and girls, are brought to faith in Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for this gift that you have given us. And we thank you for his birthday today, and we celebrate him. And we thank you for the gift that he is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand up? Would you please just give him a little bit of appreciation for 70 years? Thank you. Thank you. I love you, Matt. Thank you very much. Oh, it's not over yet. We have staff that would like to wish you a happy birthday. Happy birthday to oh, my you. Happy birthday you got to be kidding me. Happy birthday to Pastor, we have a gift for you, and we have, our church already has written almost 500 cards for you, and so in this uh, box is an opportunity for you to read uh, the well wishes of everybody here, and if you have not had an opportunity to write a note, there are notes out front that you can do that today. We'll take that out to you, and uh, we'll let you open that, all right? And uh, church family right here, Pastor? Yeah. I love you very much, and we love you, and we're grateful for you. And church family, we're going to ask Teresa and his family just to walk down this aisle, and you're going to greet everybody right there. Okay. Can I just say one quick thing? You certainly can. Hey, two things. Three things. First of all, man, I can't. I'm stunned. I'm stunned. (laughs) Love the T-shirts. Love the T-shirts. Yeah. yeah, Let's do this. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Bruce. If I'd have known this, I'd have worn my Georgia championship ring, which I have one, by the way. But look, I know it's late hour. I had no idea. Although I started thinking when Jeff showed up and Todd showed up, I'm starting, I was thinking, nah, couldn't be anything like that at all. But anyway, to all of my church, I'm thankful that I get to pastor this church. I could not love a church more. So just two last things, super quick. Number one, the only thing good about me is that Jesus lives in me. Number two, um, Teresa, I want you to come up here. This is the secret sauce. (laughs) This is the straw that stirs the drink. I just want you to let her know how much you love her. I I do. I want you just to let her know how much you love her. Thankful for my three sons and my, my grandchildren, my grand, my daughters-in-law. And this is the last thing, Mike, and I, I've got to do this. I'm going to make a promise to you. If you don't come to my funeral, I'm not coming to yours. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. All right, he is going to be in the back. Uh, Teresa, if y'all want to go, y'all can go back. He's going to greet us. We have cupcakes in the lobby. We have a party uh, just out there in the lobby. Please make sure you stick around. If you have children in any of the areas, go get them first and then come back and allow them to eat a, a cupcake as well. And before you leave, remember, Christmas Eve service is next Saturday. We have a 3 o'clock and a 5 o'clock service. We have preschool at the 3 o'clock hour, and everybody else will be in the worship center during the rest of the time. Also, Christmas Day, we're going, to be pushing a, uh, we're going to be pushing a message from the pastor to you so that you may enjoy your Christmas with your family. So thank you so much. Go enjoy a cupcake, and we will talk to you on Christmas Eve.